Good day, good evening, good afternoon, and good night. Welcome to the 11th episode of the Black Cauldron. I'm counting, it is the 11th episode. And today we're going to start the struggle book, the Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix. I think there have been more complaints and issues and problems about the fifth book. Um, I know personally, when I finish reading this book, I give it away immediately. I just like trash. I'm gonna give this away. This is rubbish. I this is how dare this woman. And oddly enough, it was the first book that I actually bought because the other four books, um, when I first read them, I had borrowed them from friends. But before I go any further in this another exciting episode, as always, I'm looking forward to this discussion. Let me introduce my co-hostesses with the mostesses. I am nothing without these ladies. We have Professor Deb. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And I'm, mm-hmm. I know that even though this is the struggle book, mm-hmm. um, we are so unique and we are so culturally um, uh, rich that we will find a way, even with the struggle book. The Lord oh, yes. will make a way. So we will find a way. Um, Harry Potter has no religion, interesting enough. That's a very interesting point in this book. There are religious-ish elements, but there is absolutely no mention of God in this book. Not even from Harry, though he belongs to like a very um, waspy, you know, British family, like super British, that at the very least it would be like staunch members of the um, Church of England. Nope, no mention of religion. Anyway. But interestingly, when we get back, when we when we um, start talking about the series as a whole, there's so many Christian um, iconography uh, in it, yeah. tropes and what have you all throughout this book. They have so. Christmas. They have uh, there's an Easter holiday break ish. It's all there. But um, yes, so I am really looking forward to this. And we have Janina. Janina offered to skip just to just for the fans to know that Janina offered to skip this book. She skipped the book within the discussion, and she's just uh, like, no. do we have to? <laughs> I, so, I, I struggle. I, I, Whenever I reread the series, well, when I used to reread the series, when the next book or movie was coming out, if I ever skipped anything, it was this one. And I did skip, skip it multiple times. I've read it multiple times as well, but sometimes I just be like, I can't do it. I can't. So, we're on a time limit today. Usually we're not, but Janina probably has a life. I don't know why you always have to throw me under the bus. I'm going to edit you out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, did I mention Janina from far in Ohio? That's why. That's why. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm ready to eat some good food and hang out outside, which is why we're on a time limit. (laughs) And she gets at me for getting food, people. This is how she tries to treat me like Harry. She's she's my aunt Petunia. Just that's right. You get a piece of grapefruit for dinner. Um, girl, I should be eating grapefruit because we have demolished some cookies this week. (laughs) 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 But um, one of the first things I want us to consider. So what I did this week is usually we have an agenda going, and Janina loves agendas. And I said, no, I'm not going to give an agenda because I want us to bring. I don't want necessarily um us to have like weeks and days of to think about what we are thinking about i wanted to sort of like sort of like control i don't want to control i just want us to all to give our impression oh, of what's happening one way or the other hold up want, yeah you have an agenda in your head then that you're not sharing why don't you say what you mean this but, is not fair no i am going to say this i'm going to say this i said usually we have an agenda 
And so this week, I just had the agenda, and we usually share it amongst ourselves. Ida would do it, or Deb would do it, Janina would how to do it, Janina would do it. But this I never week, do I agenda, don't even. Yes, actually, you <laughs> insisted that the agenda be done different ways, actually. Remember? And then you got an essay, and you were like, oh, no, this is too much. Oh. So we started <laughs> collectively. So yeah, we, started, we, we did collectively come up with a sort of an agenda, though one person may be responsible for doing bulk of the work, but we all read it and then we have a discussion somewhere or the other. I'm very nervous about not having any pre-chat. Oh, I know, exactly. I don't like I, this. I don't like how I feel. <laughs> because I know there's a, this is a struggle book. This is a struggle book. This is one of the books that's sort of like, in some respects, it is one of the darkest books. I don't know whether it's the color, the cover, the original cover was very, very dark blue. And much of the features on it is always indistinguishable because you can't necessarily tell the shades of blue that they're using are almost all very, very close to each other. In the other books, the the, book, the fourth book, it was very light. It was green. I think the other um, book one, two, and three have tones of like red and pink and magenta. In book six, it was green. And in book seven, it was orange. So the features and characters on it was very distinguishable. Books five, on the other hand, seemingly was very dark. And you can't really distinguish what's actually happening, what elements is going on it for the most part. But one of the things I think of to consider um, when considering this book, um, I sort of had an alliteration going, but then I had to stop at book five. But if we consider that the, the, what's really going on in book one, we can consider, we can sort of frame everything as there being a curiosity as to what's happening in this world. First time we're entering the magical world, Harry is very curious about every and anything. In book two, there's a general feeling of concern that's going out throughout the book. We have a chamber of secrets, someone is knocking off people, people are being petrified, and there's a general concern amongst everyone within book two. Book three, there is a general theme of caution. Harry has to be cautious, everyone has to be cautious, because there is a deadly, uh, dangerous prisoner has escaped Azkaban. He's running around loose. We need to be cautious. Book four, obviously, is a competition that seems to be framing everything. In book five, what I think is rather interesting, what is framing the entire book is information. Information in three lights. You have the seeking of information. You have the suppression of information. And I had it written down somewhere else. You either suppress our hunt is basically a suppression of information or a hunting for information. Either someone has information and we're trying to stop this out or are we trying to um, basically find information here. And we see this in the very first chapter because in the very first chapter, Harry is seeking out information about what's going on with Voldemort. And I would shut up now. You can tell me if I'm crazy, if I'm wrong, if you don't necessarily see almost everyone within this book is looking for some sort of information. There is an information war going on. We either want it, and even minor characters as well. We either want information or we're trying to suppress information. So I don't I know if... That's a, I think that's a really good way to think of it because one of the things that information does is it allows you to make choices. And, it and part of that whole thing is that being able to make choices, being able to make informed choices, it's one of the tasks of, of growing up, of, of adolescence. And I'm always, you know, kind of steering us that, that whole, all our discussion as we move from children's book to young adult. And we see, we saw a lot of those elements 
of moving to young adult and book four. But book five is where we're solidly in YA. And we see part of the things that, that helps to, to make sure that it's YA is this quest for information. You know, when you're a child, you're pretty much accepting, you're curious about the world and you're pretty much accepting what you see on face value. In book five, everything is open for question. Right. And I think one of the other themes of book five is something that Sirius says when he says the world is not um, divided yeah. into good people and death eaters. Yeah. And I think, does he say it in book four or does he say it in this book? I he said it remember. in this book. He said it in this book. Yeah. And I think that's, that is the other aspect that shows, that really shows that we're moving into a YA understanding that there are more shades of gray than than most people, um, you know, especially because the books up until this point have all been again good versus evil, but now we can't really put everybody in, in an either or camp. We can't we can't be divided into good people and versus death eaters. So I think that's another big and important theme of the book. Yeah. So I think that what I was I, I was um forgetting is I have a theme of um it's largely suppression and and um of information or hunting for information are more nuancedly put is suppression of information versus withholding right. of information versus hunting for information. Because you see a lot of this this this, this I guess I don't want to say dichotomy because it's sort of even more than two, but you see this sort of a uh, um triangular effect happening. And this whole bit with information has disastrous consequences. It basically yeah. sets upon everything within this book. It's basically playing on this balance of whether or not am I going to withhold information? Am I going to suppress this information? Am I going to um, me hunting for said information? And all of this going on and everyone is playing, um, I guess, 3D chess with this information. Um, with, with 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 this they're grappling with this this whole i don't want to use information because we are talking about information here but they're grappling with this there, there is this struggle that's going on for this for this whole system we sort of see it at the end of book four because fudge promised her um dumbledore he said oh no boo we're gonna call, we're gonna have a talk we're gonna decide the how this school is gonna be run and before um and then we see that this is going to this is set upon within book five the overwhelming character beyond Voldemort is Dolores Umbridge but before we get there you know I love to deal with my peoples you know the muggles we're dealing with um so before let, let me just sort of set up these things that I thought I want us to talk about um we will be talking about Hermione because she has become a rather I don't want to say a full full-fledged character Hermione comes to a sort of a prominence in here because it's very clear that Hermione is the adult in the Trinity. Hermione takes over the adulting. And we, in YA literature, girls mature faster than boys. Hermione is control is a is the is in charge in this book. Um, I want to talk about Dolores Umbridge, of course. We're gonna talk about the Petunia and that whole messy beginning. We're gonna talk about Fudge. And, of course, we can forget the name of the book, the eponymous character, Harry Potter. 
because in short of you know anything else harry is in my opinion at this point an asshole like there's just no other way around it he's being like a let me just say a he's twat as they would say he's just being a complete steps up and she says he's being 15. <laughs> he's a hormonal teenager well he is, be, he is acting. People say all the time, act your age. He is acting his age. He knows the problem is. And it's just annoying. We used to say, annoying. we used to say uh, when we were young, we were just like, why don't you act your age and not your shoe size? You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But, um, I, but as always, you know, I love to start at the beginning. And in this book, we go back to the beginning, right? In all of the mm-hmm. first three books, we start in Privet Drive. And we're here in Privet Drive, and Harry is seeking information. And Harry isn't getting the information. He's trying, like, it's very clear he's been shut up in Privet Drive. He's been, after Cedric's situation is going on, again, the trauma. This book, these people are horrible with trauma. I mean, just absolutely horrible about trauma. I mean, I don't even, I'm trying to think of something I can see where we deal with which sort of akin to this sort of thing to happen. It's like one of those secret society where someone disappears and we just pretend that the person no longer exists. You know what I mean? This is like shunning and whatever. And this is how they treat trauma and death. Harry is shunted off, shunted back to um, Privet Drive. Cedric is dead. He's dreaming about the situation. Voldemort is back. Harry suspects and believes Voldemort is going to come back in bombastic fashion. But he's seeing nothing about that, hearing nothing. No one's sending any word to him. Whatever letters he get from Ron and Harry and, and and Hermione are all cryptic. He's left there. It's hot as hell. And Petunia is being apparently they don't believe in AC, but they're having struggles. Dudley is having tea with the pulp kisses. I mean, just like who in their right mind imagine anyone like a 15-year-old is going over to some adult's house to have tea. Well, no, Dudley is like 16. I think Dudley is a little bit older than Harry. Right, uh, right. It's having tea. Like, what is that? Like, who? Like, you have to be under some deranged. Have you met a teenager? Have you met any children? Who wants to go to some stuffy house to sit down and have tea beyond the age of, what, seven? I mean, I'm sure two little girls put away their tea sets after eight. <laughs> Am I right? Like, like right. They, they put away that tea set that you know that you have. You, could, you would be stepping on the tea set tea set all over the place like it's just absurd you know like oh my god that is he's over at the pole kisses having tears just like petunia surely you can't believe that's what he's doing but interestingly dudley launch launches a very um interesting attack on harry he asserts that harry is gay he taunts it sort of in in, in in sort of a um when he said "Ooh, right. who are you crying out at night cedric who is cedric is this your boyfriend? I was just like, damn, girl, like, wow. Is that how we're going to do it? And Dudley always knows, interesting, Dudley always knows how to get at Harry. Harry can walk mm-hmm. away from um, Petunia and Vernon. Uh, What's his name? Vernon. He can walk away Vernon. from this thing. He has no problem giving them cheek because he knows they can't hurt him. But when it comes to Dudley, Dudley knows where to push that knife straight into Harry. He knows every single time. It is it, it is Dudley who says, "You see, I know it's your birthday, boo, 
and no one's sending you anything. No one. Well, I think it. a lot of that comes from the fact that they're both similar S- in age, similar and they age. know right. they know what's important to themselves. Right. You know, and Dudley is really imagining like how would I feel if nobody acknowledged my birthday? Like we know that he would be devastated because he throws temper tantrums when he doesn't get enough gifts. So but, he would be devastated if it wasn't acknowledged at all. So when he sees Harry go through that he knows that he can tease him about that, you know? Well, well Dudley No 15-year-old boy wants to be called gay. Right, but... No, no, if they're ahead. not, and, and to have somebody say, I heard you calling his name in your sleep, you know, like, those are all things that would just be very mean and ugly. Like, and we know that that's who Dudley is. He's mean and ugly. I actually think Dudley's gay, but that's a whole other conversation. That's yes, it one. is. <laughs> and huh? it may have been protection. He may well it, be. It, and it, it may have yeah, because Dudley doesn't do anything. At this point, Dudley, he's working out and all of that. Dudley should be out here trying to get girls. But no, he's hanging around with these little scrawny kids. And they're like, bros. hey, Big D, and all that mess. It's like, girl, no. Like, you ain't have time. You don't have time to go deal with Harry, you know, and beating up little kids. It's a weird. Dudley is very, very weird. But, you know, we, we know that. But to me, in real life, I would be monitoring Dudley like, yeah, mm-mm. I'm going to see your forensic files one of these days and you're going to be who they're looking for. Um, but I, I thought that was sort of a, um, interesting, you know, just to call Dudley continues but one of the things i think dudley knows is that dudley has always for dudley treating harry like trash has been always to embarrass him and to humiliate him dudley hasn't necessarily always wanted to punch harry though he does that but he knows what's going to be really stinging is that because remember when he's just like you know i'm going to take away your grapefruit it's like oh i have to eat grapefruit he has to have less grapefruit than i do you know what i mean he, he's always just like it must harry must suffer there must be a mental scar about Harry. He mustn't have ice cream as I am eating ice cream. He can't have a bike. He must have all my old hand-me-down. And that's the other thing that pissed me off about this scene. Why is Harry wearing old shoes? Harry got money. Why won't somebody fix this problem? Well, he doesn't have Harry any around... real money. He only has wizard. You can money. change that money. Hermione don't have access to real to, to, to galleons. They, they change money at the bank. Yeah, I'm but they change it from British money to, right. to wizard money. I don't I'm see we don't see anybody changing it back, but we I'm don't. I don't know. Happen. I'm just like, why is Harry running around with shoes with with, with the mouth open? Like this is, <laughs> this is this is not okay. This is insanity. This boy should not be okay because here's the thing: is that uh, seemingly Harry has proper clothes. Because he doesn't go into the magical world. He wears regular clothes, what we would consider regular clothes in the magical world. And he's not wearing those kind of clothes. He's not. So maybe this is some cover, you know, like he has to appear, you know, an abject poverty within this house. But anyway, but we get this crazy situation that happens. The mentor shows up and Harry fights off the mentors which leads to a whole fracas of a letter from the Ministry of Magic. And I'm just like, you can detect he doing magic, but you can't detect the, the mentors being there. Like, what is your life? Like, how is this magical world working? And I am not sure if it's that, if they're registering who actually performed the spell, 
Because no, they're not. We learn that later. We don't know it now, but we learn it later. It's only a detection of magic, but it's not who did it. That's it. We do. We learn that in the Half Blood Prince. Actually, we learn it in book two, actually, with, with Darby. And this is what I this is what I find really crazy is that there is no investigation. There is a charge. Oh, we don't have because clearly other wizards can show up there, right? Um, Madonga Fletcher was there. You understand what I'm saying? Um, Dumbledore. But he wasn't working with the ministry. No. No one's supposed to know that he's there. No. What I'm saying is that this is what I find odd odd about this trace, right? This magical trace. It is tracing the presence of magic, the, the, the act of magic occurring, right? It doesn't matter who performs the magic. It is that it is projecting that magic happened, right? Because for them, they're not distinguished between elfish magic elf magic and human magic right because Dobby right. performs the charm it breaks whatever the case may be so this this supposedly charm that they're able to uh, for, for collect on the age wizardry which only happens when you go to school the trace happens when you go to school because if you do magic before that it is the parents who discipline you not the ministry of magic and there is this juvenile delinquency system 11-year-olds, you perform magic at home, oh, you're in trouble. What? What is this system? But the mental shows up, and then we have this whole fracas. And then Aunt Petunia lets out that she knows what the mentals are. Not only she knows what the mentals are, she knows what they do. And I know when I read this, I was just like, what? Girl, you've been holding out on me. This is a major plot twist right here. Mm-hmm. I know I reread this part so many times, but mm-hmm. uh, Janine and I spoke about it in my head. Well, we don't know this, but the implication, Harry, there is a line, there's some lines of like trauma where Harry's just like, she never speaks of my mother. Just the, she don't refer to them at all. And she would, she, Petunia said, oh, with that nasty boy and, you know, and, and she mentioned it. And I was just like, damn, girl, your sister is dead. Are we still on this train? Really? That I was just like, Petunia is a whole level of nasty. And it is the part that I think people don't acknowledge within this book. We'd be pointing out people like Bellatrix and, you know, Dolores. But let me tell you something. Petunia is right up there with these evil women. I noticed that they're women, not men. But Petunia is nasty. She is just dumb Oh, no, you didn't. Um, I, I, I'm actually going to actually come there. There's, there's a level of rather interesting thing with how female relationship works in this book, but we would, um, get to that, um, later on, if not in this episode, definitely in the second episode, there will be two episodes, just, you know, Janina demands that there will only be actually Janina, Janina demands that there be none, but I insisted that there will be two episodes of this book. So in the first part of the book, ladies, with all of that drama with the fracas, you know, of the Ministry of Magic, when Harry goes, we're getting to see what we what we had seen in the beginning of in book four. We're getting this book is heavily steeped in politics. And I think that's something else, which is politics and politics and again, information. It's something that I think this book was so heavily heavy handed about. And I think that's one of the I would say problems about this book, because this book felt like. You won't get in a lot of magical element. You will get in a lot of magic, magical politics. And magical politics was very messy and stupid and didn't seem to make any kind of sense. 
because this was the moment you, the magical world had supposedly set up for, right? The return right. of Voldemort. And Voldemort had returned, and these people are acting like they needed evidence. And I'm like, y'all are magical people. You know how this thing works. You literally vanish objects into nothing. Like, you believe that this man who stylized himself as Voldemort is going to come back at a parade? Is that how you, you understand what I'm saying? That even yeah. if you didn't see him, there are ways to go and find out what happened. I know Voldemort is not the kind of person who cleaned up after his mess. I know that shit was still at that. Blood and what sort of mess was still at the graveyard. We could go find the graveyard because Voldemort would say exactly where he was, right? And I'm just like, what? But the magical world has definitely dropped the ball on the whole mess. So I think before the school element, we can sort of like see the herring and all that. We can see how much the, the magical world is going towards suppressing information. They not only want to suppress anything Harry has to say, there's a whole disinformation campaign that anything Harry Potter says, it cannot be trusted, cannot be taken lightly at all. And they, they're trying to get him out of the magical world, basically. I don't know where they're going to send him, though. That's what the part was confused. You get him out of school. What happens then? You took a, take away his wand and break it? He's a, mad, he's a wizard. You think he needs you to do magic? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I just think that whole politics is so weird. It's like, I'm taking away your car. You can't drive. Um, you can get but behind the car. But I think that people are intent on um, carrying out their own agenda they are illogical. And, you know, of course, everything you've laid out in terms of why would you, if you're, you know, you, this was the biggest threat to your world and you're, you're just going to, you know, like put your fingers in your ears and pretend it didn't happen. But I think that <clears throat> the fear and the just refusal to, to face it, because, um, you know, uh, Dumbledore makes a reference to that. Um, when he talks to Fudge at the hearing, that the refusal to accept what has gone on to face evidence. You know, you say they ask, they're looking for evidence. There's plenty of evidence that Voldemort is back. And so, um, but they are just, they're hell-bent on an agenda that says he's not back. Harry Potter is just making this up and we're just going to act like that. Even though the rest of the reality that is, there's 180 degrees away from the re reality of what's going on in the world. So I think humans have that capacity to do well, that. Well, and um, the Minister of Magic was very clear <coughs> that he was not going to support the theory that Voldemort's back because it would ruin his career. So again, right. it's political. I mean, he, he flat out said it. So you know, I don't, it's messy for sure. And the evidence is definitely there, but I think the actual reasons for the minister, for the ministry to not get behind Harry and support what's right in front of their face had nothing to do with wanting to protect the wizarding community. It was a CYA situation and I will, I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to, I don't want to be remembered as the people or person in power when he who must not be named actually managed to return right under our noses. Right. Because had they said that, 
had at the end of book four, everyone believed Harry and then what? Then, then they have to, which we ultimately get there anyways. Right. Right. So we, but then it would have at that moment been, well, what about all the other things that he said, you know, and the reason which even we won't get too far into this because we're not there yet. But the reason that it doesn't ultimately end up that way is because um, Fudge gets booted. He ultimately well, loses his job. Well, well so the- that matters because he does get discredited. All of the things that he didn't want to happen happen. Well, but we don't it, actually. I mean, supposedly, this is the thing that I find after that part. Not necessarily. Fudge is never mentioned again. Yes, yes, he is. He's in the he's in the Half Blood Prince. No, right after that, he's never mentioned again. After what? After that Half Blood Prince, he's never mentioned again. Oh well, he's no longer important. But this is the thing that because in essence, actually, we see even after the fact that. The magical world was not prepared for Voldemort return, even when they, when they, even when they accepted him, even right. when they accepted the fact that he was here. Like, mm-hmm. like these people are just absolutely the worst. I mean, I don't mean to say it, but and and this Aren't book we is, living that? Aren't we huh? living that though? Well, well, yes. We are I, I absolutely mean, living the same situation where I mean, people have a whole set of of things that are going on and they just refuse to deal with it. Yes. And so they just, we're just going to, we're just going to have to learn to live with this. And I guess they figured, you know, in their case, in their case, we're just going to not even look over there, mm-hmm. you know? So whatever he's doing, whatever Voldemort's doing, we're just going to make excuses for it. As long as Lucius has got bags of gold that he is willing to give for quote-unquote good causes, mm-hmm. we will just turn our faces away and not even deal with this. Because basically, like you said, we don't know how to deal with this. But, so we're just not going to. I mean, this is the thing that gets to me so annoying. Because I'm just like, I don't know what else y'all got to do. Because let me tell you something, this bag of gold just seemed like kind of pointless thing. You literally have a piece of stick in your hand. I can do marvelous. I could make a brand new room. I could do the. I could do the addition. I, I literally spent this week watching home additions and people building up home from scratch or like remodeling a home. Having a wand, I can fix all of that with just one swoosh. <laughs> to me, have it and everyone and constantly see him in those shows. Budget. What's your budget like? What's your budget like? It's money. So I'm like, I don't understand why y'all really need money. Money doesn't seem to be money doesn't seem to be the thing that should be of primary importance as it that the magical world shouldn't be capitalist. The magical world is a capitalist world. And Deb, you hit on something that I think is rather important as I'm rereading these books with a far more political I guess as we're attempting to read these books with a far more nuance, is that how very regular these magical people are. They are mm-hmm. so human. They're typical human. That in, in essence, right. within the magical world, there is no magical dimension that they consider. Like they approach everything as I would approach the thing. You know what I mean? Yep. As as we would as we would expect <laughs> other humans to approach the thing. 
that within their world, having magic and the impossibilities of the, the, the possibilities of the impossibilities within this world taking place doesn't seem to be the thing. And the two persons who seem to be, I guess, pushing magic on one respect or the other is either seen as old and cookie, which is Dumbledore, or like dangerous, which is Voldemort. And I'm just like, they're literally doing the thing that you were supposed to be like. They keep going to school to what? Turn a teacup into a cozy? Is that it? Is that all I'm going to do? Turn a tea leaves into a teapot? Like, that doesn't seem to be useful magic. You understand what I'm saying? That doesn't solve any sort of like real problem because we would find out in book six, you can literally let water come out of your wand. So that they, there goes that whole gump, that whole like theory of magic, magical elemental magic, but we're going to get to that another time. But it's just, that was the most frustrating thing about this book is that I am here delving into this crazy world of political magical, magical politics. And none of it makes any kind of sense. You literally have a whole dungeon, right? All of these adults sat there. So you got rid of Dumbledore. Get him off of the wisdom come out, right? <laughs> you have a whole massive trial. The last time you've had these trials was 13 years ago to deal with death eaters. <laughs> and you believe this, right? That was the last time they had such a trial. And you bring a 15-year-old in there to tell you, I, I lead a Patronus charm, which they know he did, right? They know exactly what spell he performed. Not that he did some kind of random magic. They know exactly what kind of spell magic he did, right? And then they're like, yeah, mm, we got a problem. You should be suspended. Like, what? Like, y'all are but wasting I think, time. I think that because magic is like so many other things, it's not equal in, who, in, in ability. It's, obviously, it's obvious that magic is not equal, um, that you have a talent, um, and how much magic you can do is based on your talent. And so all this whole effort is merely to help you to maximize the talent that you already have to control, to control your magic so that you could actually use it. I think that's also one of the reasons why, you know, and, and people like Fudge, he basically doesn't seem like he has as much magic as, um, as Mr. Filch. But he, so he is holding <laughs> yes, on to he power. he never performs magic, actually. Right. We never he's, see he's him performing magic. That he really rightfully shouldn't even have because, you know, he doesn't really know how to do all of these things. Which is, remember, this is why he used to ask Dumbledore for advice all the time. Because the job he, wasn't supposed to be his. Right. It wasn't until he's constantly asking for advice because he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. So, and I think when very often that's the most dangerous individual mm -hmm. in a job is a person who has a job that they are not equipped to carry on. And I won't even point the finger to what we're living through. That is the <laughs> most dangerous person you could have someone with power and authority, but no ability. And that is, that is fudge. And he is trying like crazy to cover that because he knows it more than anybody else. But but you know the interesting thing is that they appoint someone. There is there are no elections. <laughs> there are no elections to the minister of magic, which is like right. all of this power. We appoint him like we're appointing a CEO within a company. Like who makes like all like the, the owner of the company passing down who gets to be in charge of the company the next day. 
because we have no idea how this does the wisdom come out make this decision uh you know because Dumbledore was removed from both the international and the local wisdom come out right he was on the the big right. wigs and then the this whole magical element and I wish and I wish if JK Rowling if she were talking about these issues that she should have actually really go into the political <laughs> thing she was just mentioning these things like a resume sort of performance because this is the rather interesting thing because Dumbledore goes to the wisdom, international wisdom command like the United Nation really imagine and gives them a speech and say exactly what happened right mm-hmm. and he takes right. Harry's word for it you know they said there are no evidence and whatever the case may be but I'm like okay you could say there are no evidence but I'm just like what evidence is there to say that Voldemort died the first time when you believe that he could he tried to kill Harry there were no witnesses you don't know what happened like you know what I'm saying like no one knows what really happened at that house Dumbledore told you that Voldemort killed Lily and James Potter but no one else was there and you took mm-hmm. that up and you said and here's the crazy thing there was a scene in in one of the books I think when Dumbledore had a conversation and oh in book two when he's speaking to Malfoy and he says when my sources tell me exactly that that Dumbledore that Voldemort was in that was in Albania so people know Voldemort existed well you just said Trump. something interesting I never thought that anyone believed Voldemort to be dead. That was the impression that we were supposed to have. Why? I never had that impression. I never, ever did. We knew that he was gone and that he probably lost power when he tried to kill Harry but was unsuccessful. But Mm. I never thought dead. I never, ever thought that dead. Did you? No, because remember, um, the that, whole question, that whole question is, is discussed with Hagrid and Harry when they right. first meet. So you'd never really think that he, you know, he's but, gone. Right. You know, you and you know that that's, he could come back. And I think that there is still that um, idea. That's why we're going to keep all these people in Azkaban, because he could come back and they could start. It's not just because they did a bad thing and we, they're going to yeah. be punished. I don't it's think we're ever to think. Well, they yeah. were looking for him. That's but I don't think we were ever about. meant to believe that he was dead. No, I don't think we are meant to believe he's dead. But there is this politics within, there is that um, struggle within the magical community, it seems. I don't think anybody thought he was dead. No, I mean, because... there, yeah, there were people because, um, remember, Deb just pointed to her. Hagrid says to Harry, some says he's dead. But Hagrid says something along the lines where it's like, I don't even think he was even alive much more to think he was much of a human to say he could possibly be killed. Dumbledore don't even think he's dead. So he's going to come back. Right? And because Fudge then says, you know, like he's talking about dead wizards and whatever the case may be. That, so Fudge is pushing the line that he's dead. And there are people who believe that he's dead. They want you know to believe what? he's dead. I'm sorry? I don't remember Fudge pushing that he's dead. Yes, Fudge. Said- I do remember Fudge saying, and I don't even I don't know what book it was, but I remember Fudge saying that he assumed as long that he was not a threat if he did not have followers. Well, he does say that, but I cannot right now think of 
exactly when that happened. But Fudge, the interesting thing is that Fudge does say to Harry, to, to Dumbledore, he can't be back. It just can't be in the end of book four, right? And one of the yeah. reasons why the people were, why Bellatrix is in there, they're, they're being convicted for just the Longbottom issue, is that they were seeking Voldemort. They are aware that Voldemort isn't dead. We, the reader, are aware of a lot of information that I think the people within the magical community might not be aware of, right? I think that's sort of like, at, at the time, we're getting a lot of information because we're in all of the rooms. But this is the thing I don't understand, which is like, that if they had said that, you know, this thing was happening, but because I'm just like, y'all are not mentioning his name. Just the whole politics of the whole situation is just rather odd. But like Zeb says, you know, like we're living in a similar time where you think obviously information would be obvious information is at hand, right? You can deduce, you can make the, the, the links very clearly, but apparently the magical community is refusing to do that. And my problem with that is that the magical community has no plan. Never had a plan, don't have one now, and never will have a plan. They just never had a plan. And they have, a, they have created a monstrous problem. That this is basically a dead society, a dead civilization. That none of the problems that they have created and none of the problems that they ever have, they really can't deal with any of these problems, just on a whole. They just keep rallying around a figure, and this figure is a Dumbledore, a Harry Potter, a um, Voldemort for some. You understand know what I'm saying? They rally around standard bearings. They're letting some that they're having a savior complex. Oh, someone else yeah. do this. You know what I mean? I'm gonna follow Dumbledore because you know Dumbledore seems to have the right action and whatever the case may be, which makes sense. But to me, it's just like because Dumbledore isn't putting forward this like I am whatever the case may be. Dumbledore has a sort of a reasoning behind what he's doing. There's a sort of an ethics behind Dumbledore, if, you, if I'm not mistaken. Dumbledore speaking, but the magical community cannot do this. We cannot treat people like this. We can, you understand what I'm saying? He sets up, yeah. it's, it's not just like, you know, like, I'm, because Dumbledore isn't interested in power. I mean, if it's one thing, it's very clear. He is powerful, but he isn't seeking power. And we would get an explanation later on. But it's like the thing that I'm just like, he's barely even an active headmaster. Just saying, I ain't trying to be, <laughs> I ain't trying to be shady, but you barely not. I mean, like, you couldn't find a defense against a dark arts teacher before this Dolores Umbridge woman roll up in there. I mean, and I'm just going to say, Moody, you, you, you owe this school a solid. You didn't do shit last year but be in a cabinet. I'm just saying in, 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 a, in, a, in a trunk. I'm just saying you could fulfill your duty and do that year deal, but... I guess Moody had business outside of school. Well, we find know. out later why, though. About what? Why nobody repeats that position. Oh, right. I get that. I get that. But technically, Moody yeah. never had the position. Um, right. Right. But, you know, anyways. But he had bigger problems to be out here. So, <clears throat> I think... Um, I've not, not lost you or the listeners so far, whatever. But there seems to be a lot of big things being thrown at you right after. The mental situation, we realize that there's a secret society, the Order of the Phoenix. And Harry should have known Arabella Fig was mentioned in book four. But I don't know if we did. I don't know if Harry was present in that time, right? When Dumbledore tells him, you know, like, alert the Order, you know, get the Arabella Fig, Mondongus, get the old squad together. You know, and then Harry just like, Mrs. Fig, girl, what? You be treating me like right. shit. And he's in the room when they, I don't think he was in the room 
when, when that was mentioned. said that. But um, I thought it was really kind of interesting. And, and her explanation was really good when she said, we couldn't make that too attractive to you when you came to stay with me or the, or the Dursleys wouldn't let you come. So she knew when um, when they let her let him stay with her, even though you know the house smelled like cats and a or bull cabbage or something. Anyway, it wasn't. <laughs> well, I'm sure Harry could have played the part. No, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he was polite and did all of those things. But um, no, I don't. I, I think they wanted to make sure that in the house. it wasn't going to be interrupted. That he would have that place to go and then where he'd be watched over. And the magical protection seems to confine about within the house. Once he calls that house home, that the right. magical protection, because that's what Petunia is going on about. Um, so we see as we go into where at Grimald Place and Sirius Black and the whole. Well, we gotta Black say a word. We gotta say a word before we get to Grimald Place, because when we, you know, Harry. Um, Harry is picked up by the, the members of the order. He doesn't know mm -hmm. that's what they are yet. But he's, you know, he's whisked away and they, they go stay, um, they stay at the borough. No, they right? never go to the borough. They go no, to the Grimmel place. place. But when you, before, when he gets there, there's so much, he's, he's so angry um, before they, even remember when, before they arrive, he's, he's so angry. And that's when we we start to see the first stages yes. of this terrible anger that Harry is carrying that he doesn't even understand. That is that 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 trauma that is happening to Harry, and no one is addressing right. this. No one says Harry saw a classmate being murdered, though he keeps repeating the lie that Voldemort killed him. I was like, no, boo, it was. It was Wormtail. Stop saying that. Voldemort gave... But you know what? I, I guess in the real world, you know, um, murder conspiracy goes beyond <laughs> it's more charge than actual murder. So, maybe we're playing technical um, judo here. But Harry's in rage and of course he has his flying. When Harry gets on to flying, there is a relief. There is just, mm -hmm. you know, he is able to break that, that. That is that clearing of his head somewhat. His therapy. Mm -hmm. So we get to Grimmel Place and we realize that there are we've never really been in a magical home like this, a stately magical home. We've been in one of the, what we imagine a magical home would be in. And we realize Sirius is going through a whole bunch of trauma as well. No one is helping him deal with the stuff that he has been through. I mean, his mother, he said his mother kept herself alive by spite and puts herself in that painting. Which is why the painting, I think, operates slightly different than other paintings right. that we're used to. And she kept that painting up. We meet another house elf who is, I guess, who is parroting a lot of these um, feelings of things. And I think most house elves will parrot similar um, feelings because they seem to only work for old, rich, wizarding families. And generally, they tend to be, quote unquote, pure blood people. Um and there's an Oliver Not Phoenix. They parrot what they say. They aspire to be ahead. Uh, once they're too old to work, their aspiration is to be a mounted head on their wall. Well, I think that 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 might be that might be um, particular unique only to the black household, because it's one of his aunts or someone who does it. Who started so I don't know, it? Yeah. Who started it? It might be a tradition that's going all over the place. 
Yeah, it, it, it is. This is, um, and we would see how elf justice works again in book six and in book seven. That we would be, we would never rid ourselves of the elfish politics that's going on. That the magical world, the adult magical world, isn't dealing with. It is the children, the lowly children at the bottom of the power scale, who has to all internalize all of this politics within the magical world that no one is addressing and again this would lead to disastrous consequences for several players but for me being in the magical house it was just something a lot of these things that Sirius we get a sense of what Sirius was involved in growing up what his life was like I mean and because he has the bulk of the money that his family I mean Bellatrix and Narcissa has money I'm assuming but the money 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 which is held in Grimald Place Sirius is the one who owns that. And yet mm-hmm. he wants nothing but not to be in this one particular place. Um, it's just the trauma of being back in here. The, the mother spite, the mother dislike of him. And he was just like, I can't deal with all of this. He, he wasn't in Slytherin, as a fact, we would find out. <laughs> He's just like, I can't, I can't with all of this mess. And, and I can imagine, you know, when you're locked into a family, the kind of trauma I can imagine and children grow up in the KKK and they're like, oh, nope, I'm, this is not for me, people. I don't know what this is all about. Like, I can't. But, you know, all like rich people who rich children who grow up in this capitalist world and they're like, um, this is stink. I have food for days on end and I live in a world where my classmates are hungry and I literally throw a gallon of milk because I just don't like the jug. You know, that's sort of thing. Just as how the trauma and the reality of how the world works, Sirius had a wide awakening of actually Sirius had this attitude before he got to the school. He disliked these people since before eleven. And that's crazy. You understand? I mean, children don't usually form negative opinion of their family, <laughs> excuse me, at such an early age, which is one of the things we see with Draco, right? Draco came to school with this parrot in these beliefs, right? He was very mm-hmm. championing the evil way. So you can imagine what magical education was like before the children get to school, which is, you know, ooh, magical wall and education is a hot mess. But um, that whole thing I thought was a rather interesting thing because in the back of my mind, I kept thinking about Deb's refrain about how serious has arrested development. And for me, I can totally buy into that argument. Deb, you're absolutely right. That sometimes I'm just like, serious, what the you talking about you know like that's not he's just like you're not like your father i'm just like he's 15 of course he's not like his father but right you're right when you say that because he basically knew more likely the young james potter because he was in jail for 13 years basically stuck in james and his friend is dead you know and no one has treated no one knows how to deal with serious to get out of this place like there is no yeah i think that really true. I think, you know, you hit upon it when you talk about the trauma. And, you know, even though he made the choice when he said he ran away from home um, and he made the choice, it's still traumatic to um, cut yourself off the way his mother almost like burned him off the tapestry. Right. It's still, it's still and traumatic. Off, I, I, Andromeda <laughs> too. In that way. Even if you tell well, I did it, you know, I, I didn't want to be a part of this, you know, it's still hard 
to come to grips with the fact that you you were born into this family and these people are this, this awful. And that is a trauma of itself. How do you deal with that fact that, you know, you come from these people who, who have these terrible beliefs and given any opportunity would hurt people? Yeah, I, I, again, I don't... And these are the things I think when Sirius goes on at some point to talk about the world of... Um, the world isn't about good people and death eaters. That there's so many level of evilness and vileness within the world yeah. that children can't even comprehend and don't even sort of like consider. You know, like they just considered Snape from the beginning. You know, like oh, Snape hates Harry, and that's just it. Just like no, it's far more complex than that. And Dumbledore is trying to get Harry to see that sort of information, and he sees with Malfoy. Even Malfoy, he's pure evil. That's true, but I mean. The Malfoy, I mean, Lucius Malfoy, he is petty. He's trying to, you know, embarrass Arthur Weasley and to unleash a monster to do something else that he doesn't want to be a part of. You know what I mean? They're trying to right. push some right. sort of crazy pure blood agenda. There's all level, which I think for me, J.K. Rowling doesn't necessarily, she hits upon these, but doesn't address these. She basically breaks this book down into the good versus evil in the very end. You know what I mean? It's just like Voldemort is evil. He's corrupt for power. And she doesn't address the other forms of nuance evil. She presents them and let them go. When that is the kind of evil that we can grapple with. We typically can't usually grapple with the power grab type of evil, right? Like, it's usually... Right. We, can't, we can't get rid of this president, trust me. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> we cannot. You know what I mean? But we're literally having a conversation in the real now, now about that those kind of evil, right? The kind of like racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, those kind of evil we can address on a daily, daily, um, daily basis, and then try to push for the power grab later on to change those laws and make it into laws. Well, you know, I think that. So when I was rereading this, listening to it and struggling to get through it, um, I was thinking that this book is probably a little bit boring for a younger reader because it is so full of politics and moves that are not action based. And I thought, you know, you kind of like you just said, Reels, she doesn't she doesn't pull on those nuances that could be there. We just kind of gloss over them. And I, I actually had a moment where I was thinking this would be a really interesting book if it were redone for an intended adult audience and, and spoke to the audience in that way. Um, because I think that's why I didn't, I think maybe that's why I didn't like it so much because it's so, it's it is so, well, I mean, it's not. It really isn't. There's so much going on that I think um, a child's not really going to understand. You know, they're, they're going to take everything at face value, like um, the, the politics of it. Like, they don't understand that really that's how the world works. You know, you and I, right. and Deb, we're, we're seeing this in a completely different way than if a 12-year-old's reading the book. So... I think in that way, um, when I read it, I, I'm expecting to read it through the eyes of a child. Of a child, 
But see, so the thing I, of it is, I do think a 12-year-old would see, a 12-year-old would, would see, first of all, they would they would to totally relate to Harry's anger. Yeah. To being shunted off. There's so many things that we we would see as minor things, but that the, through the eyes of a 12-year-old reader are going to take on a much larger. Sure. I think but I think a 12-year-old is really going to see pretty quickly that Sirius is acting like a kid. Um, you know, I think they would understand that even more so than anybody. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there are a lot of things about this that even though they're not the action of the Tri-Wizard Tournament, there's still a lot of things in here that would keep, a, especially a group of 12-year-olds who have so thoroughly invested in these characters. You know, we're now at the fifth book. Right. And I am totally invested in these characters. I totally want to know everything that's going to happen to them. So even if I have to plow through these difficulties of these adults that are kind of shadowy coming at night, meeting, mm -hmm. <clears throat> the kids are trying to hear at the door, that's a world that kids understand. Oh, for sure. I don't disagree with that at all. Well, they They get that. That is, you know you need to get out of here. This is an adult conversation. Yeah. 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 You know, they can relate to that. They're relating, you that, know, a younger, that happening a lot. It was yeah. In yeah. a, a younger reader, absolutely. is going to understand the emotion that is in this book that comes, you know, the weirdness that starts to develop between Ron and Hermione and, and them not really acknowledging that they like each other, you know, and, um, but the children are no longer accepting that excuse anymore, right? In the past, you could say, like, this is adult conversation, and they'll be like, okay, move on. Yeah, yeah, but they now, do that they're in like, the very no, beginning. They're, they're like, certain rights, whether or not they should be hearing this information. Yep. Yeah, but, well, and how old are they in this book? 15? 15. 15? Yeah. So, well, you know, huh? Go ahead, sorry, go ahead. They are 15, I think? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, I mean, if you can remember to when you were 15, it's a weird age. It's a weird age. You're about to be given a lot of adult privileges, right? It's it's time to start driving a car and things like that. So there are a lot of there are a lot of ways that you move into the adult world, but adults will still be the first ones to remind you that you're still a child. You know, so it's a very confusing time. It's a confusing age. And we see that here when Sirius wants to tell Harry wants to give him that information that he's so desperately seeking and everybody's like, oh, you, you know, no, no. Okay, fine. But you leave the room, you leave the room, you leave the room, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's all very realistic. I still love it. Like, but I don't, I, I don't. I tell you, I, I think y'all are you're both hitting upon something here that I think we should, which is what we could sort of like use to sort of like frame a lot of what's happening here. Within this book, I find there are far more, there are too many adult themes within this book. I think J.K. Rowling was attempting to bring up, the, the book will grow in, right? And I think what's one of the uniqueness about her writing style and this book series. Because typically, the book series, though the children may age, they somewhat may remain the same likable characters you met in the beginning. There is no real character development. If you think of like epic sagas like Lord of the Rings series and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series, the children age, but they remain in essence very childlike and childrenlike. And they came out from behind this particular Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. They entered a magical world 
age and then came back out of the magical world and remain what they were before. So they were always children. The development and maturation never was sort of like up and down. But in this book, you that's not what's happening. I think what happened, she made several leaps and bounds as to what's happening here. Because one of the things that is going on here is that Harry is having survivor's guilt. Harry is upset that he survived and not Cedric. That they both yeah. didn't survive. That he should have died. And this is one of the things you would see later on in the series. Harry accepts death. The other issue that they say is that Harry is taking on punishment. Harry is looking to be the pain and abuse as a way of coping. He's letting Dolores Umbridge give him this pain. He doesn't complain. When he tells Ron and Hermione, it is not a matter of complaining. When they say, this is not okay, we got to go to someone, he's just like, no, 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 no. Don't tell anyone. Because Harry loves this pain. Just the way he really sometimes telling her off. Right? There are ways when he was, in particular, that scene when she finds out that he had given a message to the ministry about the Quibbler. She has no right to punish him because this happened off of school grounds. There are no rules that he can't talk to someone else. And he didn't spread lies to anyone at the school. He told a woman and a reporter did whatever she had to do. But this was happening. And again, we're going to talk about how Hogwarts is not safe because this, this, this wretch is running around this bloody school doing this kind of bullshit. It's insane, but whatever. That Harry is welcoming this kind of pain. And then there's also something he's doing. He's asserting that he has a right to know because only he alone. And he does this. He, there are two times it comes up, right? He says, I alone face all of this. What do you people know? I face Voldemort. I face Voldemort mm -hmm. in the Chamber of Secrets. I face them in the dungeon to protect the Sorcerer's Stone. I was the one who fought off Dementors and I was the one who right. brought back Cedric's dead body and I faced him in the, in, the, in the graveyard. But when it put to him in the DA meeting, he says, I had help. You know what I mean? So he's struggling with that internal issue all the time. And that he said, you know, like, I shouldn't have dreaded how dare they shut me out of all of this thing. There's a see. I don't know whether he wants this. What is his real passion for this information? Because at this point, Deb, he's a reactor. He has no real yeah. plan for this information, right? Yeah. He doesn't have he Voldemort doesn't isn't squarely fixed in his mind as a target, right? He's just thwarting Voldemort because Voldemort is going to do something, right? Because he keeps, because the children keep thinking they're the only ones seeing what's happening, right? Adults is not paying attention to them. And it is one of the craziest scenes where these children are all keeping secrets from, um, they're keeping secrets from adults. Adults are keeping secrets from them, and they choose not to uh, divulge information to adults. They keep withholding information all the time. Whenever, even though they know that these adults are somewhat safe, and Harry is often making the comment, "I don't think I should tell them." Like, "Oh, I wish I don't want to tell them. I shouldn't tell them." That Harry is playing this information game of whether I should tell my best friend or not tell their be my best friend. Like, how but dare they keep information from me? A lot, I, sometimes and oftentimes, I think that the reason that Harry, and I've said this before, isn't wanting to tell people is because he doesn't want anybody else to be hurt on his behalf. But, so, right. but there are points in this book where he's just pissed. He's just mad mm -hmm. because he's getting these letters that say nothing 
or no information at all. You know, he's not being patient enough to read through the daily profit that he's paid for over the summer to see that they really are talking about him and that things, yeah, that things are going on. He doesn't find out till later that, you know, really all the stuff that he, all those clues that he was waiting for were there, but he didn't bother to go beyond the first page. You know, he wants to listen to two minutes of the muggle news and he flat out says, oh, if they're talking about this, then clearly nothing's happened. You know, so Harry is being selfish and protective. It just in his i think it's because uh because his emotions are all over the place and he, well, he even acknowledges that he's like god why do i feel like this like he doesn't get it but given on where his hormones are at any given moment is how he is reacting to certain situations there are no there are no there's no therapy no therapy um no therapy at all well he has no one he doesn't you know you're right and i know i'm right he's having death right they're not talking about cedric even within the letters no one is saying how are you doing that was a traumatic incident that happened to you i hope you're trying to cope or other case to me they're keeping the letters very cryptic hey boo what's up all's right i'm cool i'm hanging out at ron's bye (laughs) that's it yeah, and I, I think there, but I think because they've been told, just don't tell Harry anything. So that's their idea of being able to, we're still, we're still writing to him, in, but we're making sure that we're following rules, the rules. Yep. That says don't tell him anything. The, and the other thing is, you know, Hermione is always afraid for Harry. She's always, always afraid that he is going to, she, you don't have to convince her not to tell him anything because she figures if he knows certain things, he's going to go try, he's going to be off to the races, trying to fix it, trying to do something and putting himself in danger. So she is not going, she's happy not to tell him anything because no, she, she's upset that they refuse to tell him anything. She's upset, but she's also recognizing that Harry is not a person when he gets information, he doesn't always use it the way, you Ooh, know, that. Yeah. But Deb, um, I'm glad that you talk about it because I know Janina is going to stop us very soon. And we, I, I'm sure Janina is loving book five a little bit more than she liked it before. But, oh, no, no. <laughs> but so I have a very controversial topic to bring up, and that is Hermione. So Hermione is squarely a mother figure in this thing, right? And one of the interesting things that happens to Hermione within these entire book series is that Hermione doesn't have any stake in this game. Hermione's smart. Hermione's, Hermione could be like, you know what, Harry, you're trouble. Boo. I'm going to be by the side. She's clearly capable of taking care of herself. But where you see Hermione comes into her full strength is Hermione against women. And it's getting, it, a lot of what happens in this book is that the criticism of like the powerful women in this book is never really against men it's always women against other women and if i am wrong you can tell me that is not to say that women have certain kind of dislike for other that they don't have dislike for certain men but where you see the real attitude comes up mcgonagall when you consider mcgonagall and trelawney mcgonagall and dolores umbridge when you think about bellatrix and tonks and bellatrix and her sister when you think about um hermione and we will focus on hermione here if I'm wrong, ladies, 
Cyril Defolochet. Shout out. Hermione, comes, into, Hermione comes into her full strength when she's going after um, Rita Skeeter. She's confident. She says, girl, oh, just wait, Rita. You're trying to say that I'm trying to sleep with Harry. Girl, I got you. And we would see later on in this book the, what she does to Dolores Umbridge. She's just like, that is a foul woman. And Hermione, the way in which Hermione minds work when she seeks in revenge, because... I, I, Deb, I'm just, pardon me, Deb, but, and actually, we're not even doing this book in chron chronological order, but when Dolores Umbridge gets a, um, you know, gets her uptake, when her love is, yeah. a come up, and her Umbridge, her Umbridge, <laughs> basically, <laughs> another uh, Dickensian naming, um, Hermione leads into the, into the forest to be raped by the centaur. There is nothing you can convince me to tell me that Dolores Umbridge wasn't molested by the centaur. Nothing. Stop it. Stop it. Right now, molested by centaurs? Yes, she was. Dolores? Dolores Umbridge. Yes, she I, was. Where on earth did you come up with that? Listen to me. Okay. Um, we're going to deal with Dab. Let's go back to Hermione. But I think it's rather interesting about Hermione. But Dolores Umbridge is taken and she's taken by the um, The centaur rides off with her. We know how she hates quote-unquote half-breeds. I don't know why they keep saying these things are half breeds when usually these things are are, are are beings in and of themselves because they have some sentient being, you know, like they're sentient beings. They think that they are half human. Centaurs are but centaurs. Nobody, nobody calls them that, but but people who are against. Right, them. right, and and um particularly um people like Umbridge, but Umbridge. Umbridge is taken off anything, and no one sees Umbridge until Dumbledore comes back to the school, and he goes into the forest, strides into the forest, strides back out with Dolores Umbridge, and no one says that word as to what said what happened to Dolores, and Dolores has trauma whenever you hear whenever she hears centaurs because they do this to her when she's leaving the school. They make a clicking heart, like, and like she's right, and she's losing her marbles. Dolores was molested by centaurs. Stop I mean, it. I don't know what else they're going to do with her, but kill her. Listen. Listen. All right. She. Okay. Mm -hmm. We know that she centaurs are very. Her because she was, was so fearful of them. Her fear, just keeping her in captivity around them, was enough to keep her terrorized. They probably yeah. beat her ass. Exactly. They probably beat her up. Literally, literally beat her ass. No, 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 no. She, we, hold on. I'm just saying. Uh, wait a minute. Wait one. Mm. You're crazy. First I'm of all. Crazy. Crazy. <laughs> so this is this is what I'm thinking about mm -hmm. that. They're very proud creatures. We mm. know that. We mm. know that before. We know that from Hagrid. It, we see it in this book. We we know that they're very proud creatures. Um, they do not tolerate being told what to do by humans. We know that. I'm being in treated Dolores, like mules. Right, right. So Dolores Umbridge at, does does every single thing that they don't like. She hits every peg. Every and single exactly one. who she is. Right. So. And they were already pissed that Hermione brought them in there, particularly knowing Hermione took Dolores 
in there, knowing yeah. full well that Dolores is going to do exactly what she thinks she was going to do. Absolutely. Going to Absolutely. Them so and she was going to tie them and then. Let me let me finish. Mm-hmm. So Dolores offends them in every way possible. Mm-hmm. I think they beat her ass, literally. I think, I think not they did figuratively, that literally. not sexually. I don't think. First of all, just no. Second, <laughs> they they wouldn't. They wouldn't. I don't think that they would want to. I don't. I don't think that the centaurs would even mm-hmm. consider that a punishment. I think they would see that as something that is beneath. Isn't that them how men? To, isn't that how men? No, don't. But they're not men. Remember, they're centaurs. Mm-hmm. Don't be a. Don't be an umbrage. No, I. I, 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 I mean, I would have. I would have. I would have naturally thought that what you were saying is true, and initially I thought that was true. But then, when as I'm reading on, and Dumbledore goes in there, Dumbledore goes in there, strides into the forest, and strides back out with Dolores, and no one spoke about what happened again. That, to me, told me that something went on. Why would she ever speak about being abused I mean, she literally had the ministry right behind us. She couldn't have all of them rounded up and being 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 in trouble and she would have to admit that she was wrong and that she was out of control because no, she, she thinks doesn't. that she's in control of everything no she doesn't I, have. I just think i just think that she i think she had so it would be like you know she just thought they were the worst things first creatures she'd ever imagined and just being held captive by them had severely traumatized her you know just in terms of it didn't have to do anything she just just her own idea of them has traumatized her so that that's what she is reacting to. And I think she's not going to speak on it because she's been pulled down a peg in terms of having to interact with these creatures. Who knows? Dumbledore may have had to may have had to negotiate with them and she had to witness, you know, what he really thought of her. So I think you know, I don't. I don't see it that way. I do. I do. <laughs> so, I'm just saying. No, I'm just no, saying. I think Dolores got molested by centaurs. You know what? You. You. But anyway. But I have to. But, but with Umbridge. I'm just saying. But anyway, putting that aside, it is. It is where you see Hermione in her full strength. Hermione takes charge when it comes to in her negotiating with Rita. Skeeter, she's just like a Rita girl. You're gonna put that mess in that paper, girl. Don't don't play with me, girl. Here today, this is what we're gonna do. You're gonna write this story like how we want it to be written. Don't be any funny business here, girl. Hermione gets into her full stride of this situation. And one of the things they talk about Hermione doesn't have any stake in this game is that you never meet Hermione's parents in any kind of uh, particular. Thing. I don't even think you actually know their names, other than they're just dentists. Um, and you never go to her house. Harry never even go to her house at any point. I mean, we could say maybe it's dangerous for him to be out in the muggle world um, outside of Privet Drive. But just like how Hermione changed her whole holiday plan just to go and deal with Harry's situation at the Christmas break, that Hermione is a mother figure. And many there is a, um, there is a, a term that she's calling ex deus machina. That she is the solution to all of the sort of a problem that can probably come up. And she literally is this person. Whenever they're in a tight jam and it's a train at the trio or even just it's Harry and Hermione, Hermione is the one to fix it. Hermione but, is the one. But, but real, 
skills you you encounter. I mean, I think that's true, but I think it's because of something that you pointed out a long time ago, and that is she's the only one who does the work. She's the only one who's done the reading. She's yeah. the only one who right. knows how to do these things. And so she is, and she comes into her own when she, the, I'd love your, your example of how she handles Rita because Hermione has got all the receipts. And right. when Hermione has all the receipts, she is unstoppable. So I think that when 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 Hermione is uncertain is when you move away from that knowledge base, is when she is like, mm, I'm not sure. You know, I don't like. I don't like. I, I don't like that characterization of Hermione at all. I mean, like, no. I mean, when people say that, it's when she's unsure of a book situation. She isn't unsure because Hermione calls. Hermione calls, and 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 Hermione is more skating. The only Professor Hermione skating again is, is Trelawney. She calls her a fraud. And yeah. it's just like, I'm just like, because it's true. Trelawney can't predict Harry's death every single week. Harry can't, Harry, Harry's not like what, um, Groundhog Day? Like he keeps right. dying and coming back alive. Like, how is it even possible? But it, it is the kind of thing that I think it is J.K. Rowling brand of feminism, I find. It's very honest. Hermione, like we see Ron. We see Ron and all of the drama that he literally has, right? His parents being involved in the order, like the danger they're constantly in, the fear. Hermione has no fear. Hermione's fear is only, Hermione doesn't have fear for herself. Hermione literally only has fear for these two, that the danger potential that they have going on that can happen to these two. Hermione is an individual character, but in only so far as Hermione is an individual character as she relates to Rana Hermione as some other part of the plot. And I think it comes up very clear in this book because she gives up her whole holiday just like, oh, no, I'm not going to France to ski anymore. I got to come and deal with you too. And I was just like, what? Like, I mean, I get it. It's your friend, but I mean, just like no explanation. She says, oh, my parents don't get the, the, the daily profit. Just like, you don't think they want to know what's going on. Because their parents are basically, this is the crazy thing. Her parents being two muggle-born people have given the child over to a secret society that they didn't think exist until a letter came. Like, but but now, I don't think that, that is so far-fetched. I think that when when somebody has a child who has a particular talent and skill that they feel is outside of their know-how, and they find that there is an opportunity for them to go and to really get that skill addressed, um, they will take their hands off. I mean, right, that don't, case, won't they that try to find out what's going on? How does this work? Because I don't know. Figure that I don't know how it works. I remember, I remember being a like first generation going to college. A mother was like, I don't know how to fill out those papers. I don't know how to do those things. She trusted that the guidance counselors and people at school would be the ones who could do that. Because here I was moving into a realm she didn't know anything about. Right. And so she had to trust other people to respond to that. Now, we all know that, you know, there was a time when they weren't really thinking that way about black kids. So what you got was what you got. But I think that that is the parent feeling like, I don't know what this is. I have to turn this over. We see it with kids who are good in sports. I have to take the coach's word. The coach says you need to do this. They will, they will abdicate. Maybe not at this level, because this is an exaggerated circumstance, because we're She's talking 11. <laughs> we're talking fantasy. 
It's right, exactly because of, I, and they don't know how, I mean, for college and for sports, the example that you use, and they're a really great example, I think our parents are much more willing to lend the coach and the guidance counsel um, credence to do what they're doing because we have seen examples of how these things work in, in everyday life. But they we would have, have seen things in Hermione. Yeah, that she yeah, was magical. That there she was, was magical. About that. So but, this wasn't a complete shock. You know, they would have all them weird little things that Harry did. They would have been like, oh, oh, you know, and then finally they have an explanation. I don't think it's any different at all. I think that's 100%. You you take your 11-year-old child, put her on a boat, and basically say, girl, go through this barrier and go People send their children off to boarding schools far away all the time. But they know those boarding schools. No, they don't. Not always. You don't know every teacher. No, I don't think they do. No. And they send them off younger than that. I I think this is not typical of our lives. So it's harder to relate to. But I don't think that. And I don't know why it's like to be rich boarding school life, Janina. Thanks, Janina. Well, I I personally (laughs) don't know anyone who was shipped off to boarding school. But I know that this is common in um, other countries. Right. It's common. so I I don't think that this is unusual. I really don't. So this would have been no different than sending us to our regular school. I have some friends who taught at boarding school, and it was not that unusual. And the kids were really young. Yep. So this is this is crazy. But I, I mean, Deb, you are right <laughs> to remind me about you know like Deb um, Hermione is doing all of the readings and all of that. But I just find that her character isn't necessarily fully integrated into the story. Insofar as, you know, like she doesn't have a proper background and it's kind of odd that we get the muggle because, I mean, once Harry's in the magical world, everything else about the real world is wiped away. Even his maternal grandparents are completely gone and erased. Like there's just nothing. Well, I think it's once just because the that's magical not the focus. That's not the focus right, of the story. We don't care. I mean, we would be interested, sure, but it doesn't leave us with a big gaping hole that we don't know about Hermione's parents. It's fine but, that we don't. But I we I, can't but, know everything. Like no, we don't get we to have every detail. But, as much as we would want it, I would love to know all that stuff. I don't want it to come in the form of J.K. Rowling giving a talk after the books have oh, written. Oh no, I hate <laughs> that crap. I know. I, I know. Hate we it. don't. We don't if, wanna. But I'm just simply saying, what I'm saying is just, it's just how she's just there. And one of the odd things I noticed this time around reading the book, it's how very um, co-ed relationships are in the series. That the boys that Seamus uh, and Dean and Neville usually hang out together, right? But Harry and only Pansy Parkinson, I think, is the only girl I hang around boys. But And typically not really. Unless they have class together. Because it's usually Crab, Goyle, and um, Malfoy. So it's sort of like an odd situation, I think. Not odd necessarily. But, I mean, I would think in most co-ed school that relationship boys and girls hang out together all the time. And not necessarily in a a sexual manner. No way. No. They always strictly sex. Okay. So this is what I'm thinking is one of the odd things about Hermione and Harry and Ron's relationship. That from the beginning, this girl is always with these two boys. She clearly hangs out with other girls, but she's with these two boys. 
I don't I don't think it's weird at all. I think it is very typical for boys and girls to separate themselves. And I think it is also very typical to have the odd girl or odd boy who seems to fit in. I think that's all very real and lifelike. Yeah, I do too. And, you know, having watched, observed my own, when my kids were teenagers, they had some, they had some guys that they hung around with. They did things, they went skating, (laughs) but they wouldn't, they never got past that, that realm. They just, they were just people that they knew that they liked and they hung out with. And then there were other guys that they dated when they got old enough to date. So, I mean, it was just, you get this mix of folks. And, you know, I think that what, that's really one of the things we're supposed to find so remarkable in this series is how close these three are and how they do sacrifice for each other. That's supposed to be, that's not supposed to be a point of what's wrong with them. It's supposed to be a point of, isn't this a remarkable relationship that they have overcome all of the ways that kids normally relate to one another to maintain this friendship and to, to, you know, save the world, so to speak. But they don't give, they don't care anything about Hermione's interest. Nothing. Harry never wants people to be like, oh, you're doing a arithmancy. What is that? And that's a typical boy. (laughs) That is a typical boy. I tell you all the story when my kids were coming up, the girls would sit in a clump and watch the boys play basketball. So I would say, they wouldn't watch you do anything. They would not come and watch you do anything. There will be a time when they would come and watch you do something if you were, you know, in a swimsuit competition or. Right. But at this age, when you're 10, 11 years old and you all are sitting there on the curb watching them play basketball or football or whatever they're playing, there's no way you're going to get a 10 or 11 year old boy to be interested in what the girls are doing. That's just not the way they're socialized in Western culture. I can't speak for any others, but, you know, that's so normal. Yeah, That's it really is. So normal. It well, really I, is. I, I, I maybe I'm too old to remember this, but I remember that if um, but I'm not we are older than both of you. Or I'm not necessarily you. a jock, <laughs> but I mean, I would think that if boys were playing with girls, of course it would be like scandalized the boys playing with the girls, but that's usually the boys in the minority, and the girl who's playing with the boy as the minority in numbers, the the, the She's usually labeled a tomboy, et cetera, et cetera. No one really shuns upon that until they get to like teenage years and they'd be like, oh, there might be something different about, you know, that the play might not be regular anymore. You know, parents are like, oh my God, you can't play with him like that anymore. But I think for me. Didn't you, when you were young, go to a all boys school? Yeah, I went to an all boys school, but it was an all girls school right next door. So it never really felt, it just felt like we were taking classes separately not necessarily that it was anything that girls were forbidden or restricted or anything like that. Okay. And the only other um, the only other school, so there were four schools where it was single sex, and the other two, it was two boys and two girls. The other one was a convent school, and, and the all-boys school was right next door. So again, and they were connected to the Catholic Church. So again, they never felt that they were actually they were probably far more restricted in the interaction because, you know, the sisters would be like, uh-uh, girls, don't you dare cross that line over to the boys' <laughs> school. Mm-hmm. And, but, so I never I really... Just, I think that their relationship is very indicative of what I saw growing up and what I experienced myself. I don't know. I had lots of boyfriends mm-hmm. in terms of, 
hang out, we're buddies, you mm. know. Um, I was often the one girl with a group of guys. And a lot of that, it, it didn't have anything to do with not having girlfriends. Um, there were, I grew up with more boys in my neighborhood, so that's just how it happened. Um, but you know, it was never weird or anything. And, and Hermione is just... an only child. That's how I explained it to myself before that she's an only child. I think you're probably just overthinking it. I don't know, but you could be right about that. I just think for me, for, for a lot of these things that I think that when it comes to Hermione within this series, for me, I generally find that in many ways there are things that I like about her. I just don't like how she's, she, she's the elements of Hermione character within uh, some of it, that she is actually reading the books and whatever the case may be. That is absolutely, that's like the thing that everybody should be doing particularly and i know we keep saying that they're typical teenagers etc but that's just the thing that i kept thinking about within this book that every time i kept thinking that you know like oh this is how i would have been at this age i'm just like but they're not me in the sense that they have a whole new dimension to deal with they are magical people living in a magical world where they can make things happen like the things that i can't for example if I want to move a wall, I'll be like, oh, my God, I have to hire a contractor or something like that. If I want to lift a table or something like that, you know what I mean? There is a certain um, logistic that needs to be done that I don't need to do that I can't do in the real world. But the magical world, there is that. And, and that's the thing that always bothered me, particularly about this book, about just like how they're behaving like typical teenagers. But, well, they use Hermione a lot. And she knows it. And she allows it and when she's tired of it she cuts them off we she see this never over grows and tired over. of it she never yes, goes she tired does of it. when yes, she doesn't she let them copy her homework or help them yeah, do theirs she does that she, eventually but, she lets them do it anyway but that's, she, take the she doesn't and, always but that's her way of controlling the situation you know she she knows what her role is in this relationship whether or not we like it or, you know, she allows a lot of it. Um, I think they genuinely do care for each other, all of them, for sure. But the maturity level and what each one of them brings is is different. You know, Hermione was probably going to be, um, and still is in some ways, a bit of an outcast because she's such a know-it-all. And uh, she was an awkward-looking young girl who seemingly has you know grown into herself and whatnot but she needed she needed them in a in a different way than he needed than the boys needed her she she's gaining something from that relationship too she's getting some friends they genuinely like her love her as a friend i don't doubt that at all do they use her for her brains absolutely absolutely but we all have people that we go to when we want to yeah. know something. Yep. Right. But I mean, I get all of that. But I mean, like in this book, I mean, I'm creating, I am thinking more of the like, like how Hermione uses a plot device to a certain extent. Like she's just this, like, I, I don't know. It's just, I am uneasy about, about how she is the, the, the character profile that we get of Hermione because yeah, well, Hermione you also become... think that Dolores Umbridge was sexually assaulted and I'm right about that <laughs> but you know, I also want to say that uh -huh. one, of the, 
one of the main themes of the series is that as wonderful as magic looks, there are limitations and issues with magic. That's one of the main that 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 that's why we're supposed to see Harry as wide-eyed, just like you talked about earlier. We see the first few books is full of wonder, is full of all of this. And as we turn this corner, we saw it's almost like we turn over a rock and we start to see that what there are limitations the surface, and yeah. issues in in the magical world. It's not just all um, candles hanging, you know, free flowing in the in the big hall. It's not just all the food that appears, just because the food really doesn't appear. The elf, the house elf, right? Exactly. <laughs> there are all these different things that you on the on the face of it, it says, oh, how wonderful! If I had magic, I wouldn't have to move that wall. I wouldn't have to do X, Y, and Z. I think one of the themes of the books of the series is, yeah. But it has this another set of issues, another set of problems. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, Deb, you, you're pointing to something I think we should probably, which is how we should approach um, the next episode as we conclude this yeah. book, putting a favorite book, is what, it's, it's what really is becoming, what we're really seeing underneath in the magical world and yeah. how they're not even approaching magical problems with magic at all. But the problem right. that they have because of magic is not solving it with any kind of magic. But I know this book might be a bore to many people, but I find it really fascinating and interesting. And I'm really looking forward to hearing what people have to say. I know it's not as, um, it's as you point out, um, Janina, it's not as adventure laden. It's not like hijinks and whatever the case may be. And though we do get a big surprise at the end yeah we do get magic. a battle scene right so yeah there's that. the first time we've seen magic in any sort of like battle capacity and it's a shame that I it's do with love these that two part. people <laughs> i do love that part terribly uh, it. And but, it shows, you know we talked about dumbledore's power or the fact that dumbledore doesn't but dumbledore has personal power so he doesn't really need um this kind of power that other people are seeking yeah right it, Dumbledore, you know what I expected, and you know, and we can wrap up and whatever. But it's the sort of power that I see, I think Hermione is striving for that Dumbledore has power with knowledge and information. Mm -hmm. Right? He isn't seeking out this sort of external kind of uh, um, affirmation and going off a power that is that we can see in externally, right? Right. But then there are times when Dumbledore um, has power that's out of emanation and they keep saying this like you know like he's a powerful person i'm just like maybe he just studied i bet you that's what it is maybe he does his homework don't tell me that there is an innate sense of magical power there is an innate some of magical things you can do like tonks right like you could be a metamorphosis i think if i'm not mistaken um it's pronounced that there are things you can do like those unique skills right uh things like mm-hmm. that but it's just like you got to do homework, people. That's the only way magic seems to be able to transfer it. Even from the beginning of Hogwarts founding, right? They were teaching skills. It right. wasn't that they were nurturing power level or whatever the case may be. But anyway, the underbelly of the magical world is horrible. And I, so far, ladies, I don't think I'm really keen on getting on. I mean, I just want to get on um, the Hogwarts Express just for the ride. But this school is a hot mess. <laughs> I love being on long train rides, 
but you know, I mean, going to European countryside because apparently America don't really have that here. But no. he wants to be stuck in Middle America. We don't want. We don't want to no. that. Um, but I would say that you know, like the magical world is such a hot mess place. And you know what? We never really fix any of those issues. <laughs> we never really get those. So we can conclude today's episode, and we will be back next week. I hope you enjoy this. Um, I know, Janina. It's a tough book, but you know what? You gotta learn to love that stepchild. It's a child that you don't mm. like. You gotta learn to love. I already have a stepchild okay. I love. I'm not having another. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just say though that there are some things that happen in this book that we really need going forward? Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah, for uh, sure. It may be that that's the important think, part. You know, this is a huge, major stepping stone. Yes, and I think. That, that might be why it doesn't feel as satisfying a read, because it is really kind of um, a book that is that we need to have all this information, speaking of um, reels. And it's, you know, we need to have it be, because we of what's coming. Yep. But I kind of find it <clears throat> annoying nonetheless to say, oh, good Jesus, you people need to have a conversation. Y'all got to talk about, you know, you know what I mean? I just feel like a lot of things could have been resolved by like, you're talking to the wrong person, right? Even Voldemort is having this issue. But yeah. anyways, we will be back next week with, with episode number 12. And then we get to go on episode number 13 to Janina's favorite book. The Prince. We're going to see how that goes because I know she's not doing the agenda for that book. But... No, probably not, but I'll still have lots to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good night. Then. Good night. Good night. Take Mr. care. Managed. <laughs>